You're listening to Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of Yellow Paro Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. Uh, this is your returning host, Soju Operator. It's been a while for me. And um, I'm joined by two of my fellow members, John Chinaman. Say hi, John. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Kalashnikoffing. It's been a while since he's been on here. Hello, hello. And we have a special guest, really cool guest. His name goes by Caton, and Caton is a master-level USPSA shooter. We're very excited to delve deep into the world of competitive shooting and learn from his experiences. Uh, say hi. Good morning. All right. So... Uh, <laughs> It's it's been uh you know we've been wanting to have this happen for a while just a lot of different crazy scheduling you know conflicts here and there just how the world is but you know we always look to start with some pretty general generalized questions we ask everyone how did you yourself get into firearms in the first place and and then what eventually turned you towards the just professional competitive shooting um I I know this question's like funny because it's the typical, like, you know, I grew up around firearms, always had an interest in guns and mechanical things, and I like to take things apart. Um, but, like, I didn't really get a passion for shooting until probably, like, five, six years ago or something when I took my first, like, you know, real class from an instructor that um, had information that was uh, vetted after 1990. Um, so, <laughs> that was... Uh, <laughs> Um, was his name Travis Haley on the Magpul Dynamics <laughs> DVD? No, I already saw yes. the videos uh, in preparation the fucking Bible. for my, my very serious airsoft training as a 14-year-old boy. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that shit owns. Um, it but separates like this, the, the sheep and the wolves right there. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You got it. You got to Whatever. That's good video. Fuck, where were we? Uh, let's see. I had the like the primary... Um, shooting class or the initial shooting class that um, that like really opened my eyes I was like oh shit okay like there's there's a lot here uh, this is like a, a one day pistol one day rifle like 101 kind of thing um, and I was like okay this is actually like really fun this is something that's that's interesting technical and boy I sure do love uh, making all this noise with my guns on the range this, this rips <laughs> So nice. I guess that's that's kind of where everything went wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so very very primal, you know. Like I just <laughs> yeah. like to make noise, noise yeah. good. Yeah, I just need attention. Um, which so, what kind of competitive shooting did you first get into? Was it IDPA? Was it sort of two gun, three gun, a USPSA? Um, I initially got interested in competition shooting uh, from watching the in range videos where they like watching them, like, brew up and then initially host uh, hard-as-hell two-gun matches. Oh, yeah, right. And I was like, right. oh, wow, that's that's practical. That's nice. That's, these guys don't have, like, 
anodized red parts. They look like they're <laughs> serious users of their firearms. I wouldn't get killed in the streets by going to one of these. Uh, that looks fun. Um, and then there was a local club that I got an opportunity to do like a kind of like a mini three gun uh, setup where we would use a PCC instead of a rifle so that we could like keep the whole stage in a 25 yard bay. Um, and after doing that kind of like outlaw three gun stuff, boy, I was fucking hooked. That was it. So, so outlaw three gun. Yeah. The train, the, the train. Choo, choo. <laughs> you got to explain what you mean by, uh, by outlaw for all the, uh, listeners out there who have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. So there are typically, um, each kind of shooting discipline, be it like steel challenge, practical pistol, uh, so on and so forth, usually has, um, if not a national or worldwide governing body that, that like lays down rules and, uh, and so on, will typically have like a generally agreed upon, uh, format or rule set. Um, so in three guns case, there isn't really a national body, but there's kind of accepted, um, iron sights divisions where you don't get fancy magwells and, and, and cool go fast parts. There's like the normal guns where you get like one red dot or one primary sighting system, uh, no huge magwells and so on. And then there's the race gun division, which is open and you get to do whatever you want as long as it's safe. Um, so Outlaw would be um, more of a homebrew setup. So the range or the competition or the match director decides uh, these are the special rules we're running with this one and it may be an annual thing or whatever, but like this is Outlaw, it's very explicitly a deviation from what you may be expecting. Right on. Uh, yeah, because I know there are a number of kind of pretty well-known uh, com- competition organizations, but they're not really any part of, not part of USPSA or any, any of the sort of rule right. sets. Like, I guess tactical games could be one of those where it's, this is explicitly like a CrossFit sort of shit, but with like shooting rifles and pistol. I've heard of, there was one that I heard of where it's not quite like tactical games, but it's like a different circuits of obstacle courses and different targets set up. And you you, have, you only get to carry what you have on you. So your rifle, your pistol, all the mags. It's up to you how much you're packing on you and how well you can shoot that. And you, you have to trek it all in one go. You're, you are running from one uh, one uh, setup to another setup the entire time. And you have to pack your own water. And so that's kind of a cool cool idea. Yeah, uh, that rips. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it, it is cool when, like when you start going outside your own rule set and make things more more interesting i mean shooting competitive shooting uh, is like more than ever just like anything now in the gun world is like more accessible than than really was in the past right i mean we're testing new skill sets as we as we keep on developing new uh, methodologies out there um that's awesome so obviously you are mainly into uspsa have you done idpa before I have not yet. I was planning on uh, shooting my first IDPA match earlier this year, but there were conflicts. So I'll get to uh, that. Okay. I'll get to that okay. soon, but it's not a high priority for me. Sure. Yeah, because you know I hear from the discourse that um, between IDPA and USPSA, USPSA is generally more favored. That the the rules are more favorable. They're more open to allow uh, different setups or whatever. And the the conditions in which you have to compete under a little, little make a little bit more sense. I, I don't know if you would agree with that. Yes, and you may have to explain again what 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 is the difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, 
IDPA. What does that even stand for again? Um, so USPSA is United States Practical Shooting Association. Um, it is the um, North American arm. It more like a sister org or so um, of um, IPSC or the International Pistol Shooting Competition or something like that. Um, and it's it's a fairly standardized rule set. And the primary difference, like excluding all the the gear divisions or whatever, like ignoring all that, uh, the primary difference between USPSA and IDPA, or uh, International Defensive Pistol Association, is the scoring system. So most people are familiar with IDPA's Time Plus, where you get the uh, targets with the three scoring zones, where it's like the center circle is the zero, and then the outer perforation, where like the C zone or whatever is plus one, and then plus three for the full target, and anything outside of that I believe is like a plus five or a, a penalty of some kind. Um, so your goal is to shoot the course of fire for raw time, and if you get all alphas or all zeros or all A zone hits or whatever, um, you get no penalties or bonus time added to your score. Uh, so hence the time plus scoring. Um, the USPSA scoring uh, system is called Hit Factor. I actually just ran a competition, uh, outlaw style, yep. with Hit Factor, and it's basically A zones five points, C zones one point, D zone, or excuse me, A zones five points, C zones three points, D zone is one point, and there's penalties for misses and no shoots. Take Correct. that number. And then divide it by the total time. Yes. That is your hit factor. Yes. As in basically your points per second. Yes, that's correct. It the is. person with the highest hit factor on the stage wins the stage and is allotted the entirety of the total possible points on the stage. So basically however many targets are, the A zones, however many you know, you're supposed to shoot at that, the A zones times five. So USPSA is scored in percentages where whoever is the highest hit factor gets all the points and then everyone else's hit factor they get allotted the percentage of the total points based on the percentage of their hit factor which is the percentage of the highest hit factor yeah isn't that just so clear and just it, it not makes, confusing whatsoever and it's not complicated at all and every time i walk up to a stage i can do hit factor math in my head uh it's, <laughs> it's so easy what's your problem uh, <laughs> but to like simplify it it's it's, it's essentially points per second and your goal is to balance speed and accuracy while you're shooting a course to accrue as many points per second as possible. And so the person that is the most fast and accurate in USPSA is the winner of that stage. And if you're consistent, the winner of the overall match. So the, the big nice. issue that I have when comparing the two scoring systems is that IDPA's um, Charlie, essentially, or the down one, on their scoring zone, identical silhouettes or whatever, roughly, um, is that the down one or adding one raw second to your time overall for that stage is a huge fucking penalty it compared is, yeah. to shooting one Charlie on the same stage if you were scoring it in hit factor, where instead of getting five points, you get three points and your, your time is equivalent because I have lost and won stages based on hundredths of a second compared to my competitors like we ran basically the same stage the same plan he shot a charlie uh and i shot an alpha overall over like 28 targets or like or sorry uh 12 
12 to 14 targets or whatever. Like, very small differences, but, like, me being slightly more accurate in the exact same time put me slightly ahead of him. Versus, if that was IDPA, he would have just... You fucking... He's done. Like, you, it's really hard to make up a full second once... Uh, once you have competent um, competitors, right? Yeah, and that that is that is true. I've always wondered about that. It's like, oh, you fuck up once, you're kind of done. That, yeah. Especially the higher level you get, you can just pretty much forget it at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so IDPA's scoring system, just ignoring all of the rules, all of the like demographic of the competitors that choose IDPA or USPSA, IDPA's scoring system itself disincentivizes becoming more fast it is ex- almost exclusively right. an accuracy rewarding system. right and so like idpa shooters just don't stack up relative to uspsa shooters right and then and, unless you, you know train or like really deliberately train it right right and if we start kind of melding the idea of all right i'm doing competitive shooting get my skills at a much higher level than i normally could and i bring that to the real world uh you know, speed matters a lot in the real world. I mean, so it's accuracy, right? But then it's relative, right? Relative accuracy to what you're shooting. Because if I hit that Charlie instead of that perfect alpha, but it's still on a guy who's going to attack me, then it really didn't make that much of a difference. It's still relative oh, accuracy. It's on the fucker who's going to hit me, you know, whatever, right? But in this world, it's like, oh, you missed, you fucked up, you're garbage, you, you missed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've... Yeah, because most of our people are, are, you know, most people follow us. I really shouldn't firearms as, as like defensive tools. There's some people who follow us that are really interested in the competitive aspect. And if you are, dope. But ultimately, I think most of the people who follow us are definitely the former. Yeah, and that was initially the reason that I got into competition shooting. And then I realized that you know playing games with guns is really fun, um, and like that's that's taken over my passion. But initially, I had the same uh, the same drive, and I found I my Instagram feed at the time was just full of like you know. Uh, bullshit like Cagworks and um, GBRS group, like, you know, tactical guys <laughs> yeah, right, who, right. who looked really cool and uh, I later learned didn't shoot so great. Uh, <laughs> that is the entire gun industry in yeah, a nutshell. You know, <laughs> many such cases. Um, but I found uh, a couple of heads up dudes um, that, like, either did compete or trained in a very similar manner to competitive shooters. Um, because they also realized that, you know, basically hit factor scoring is how the real world works. Like speed and accuracy, both are important. You should train both. And if you leave speed on the table in favor of accuracy, they're taking speed. Most definitely, because in the real world, things happen very fucking fast. Watch oh, yeah. any any shooting that's ever had any defensive shooting video on earth ever. It's yeah, never people standing through, still. Like, active self protection's YouTube channel. Right. Just look at any of that material. Like that shit's done in like three seconds. Right. And I I would like argue the ones that are successful, especially when it's like multiple attackers. That's when the competitive shooting skills that's all combined together. It's actively putting in multiple shot groupings in a short time span where they need to go and transitioning on the rhythm and that's what keeps it that person alive essentially uh, you know and on on that subject actually like what would you say are the main skills like required and or developed when you want to start getting into competitive shooting i would say that the biggest the biggest skill that you could gain from competitive shooting is just raw gun handling like raw raw pistol performance or like pcc if that's how you choose to shoot it or um rifle if that's the competition scene that you choose to jump into but like 
my experience is USPSA, so, like, I'll speak on that. Like, the, the biggest benefit is just the gun becomes second nature, and you can confidently put shots on basically anything you want, and you have a good idea of how quickly and how accurately you can do that. Uh, so just, like, you just take the gun out of the equation for your defensive encounter, or however else you choose to employ it, because you've trained it to such a degree that um, you can shoot faster than a, like a so-called like real-life engagement requires you to. So like that just completely frees up your. Uh, <laughs> I I don't really have like the great words for it, but like the the cognitive load or whatever. Um, right. That just like it frees up that bandwidth for you to worry about like you know that shits in front of you or or whatever else you need to solve. No, I, I agree 100. percent That this is this is li- like literally any skill set and especially weapons based. Um, systems arts martial arts whatever you want to call it the weapon becomes an extension of the body of the mind right i don't have to think about me holding this stick and or knife and or gun in my hand or throwing a punch like a boxer doesn't think about oh what if is my jab look okay no they did they did a thousand times in the gym it's an instinct they look they target acquire okay i'm punching that dude in the face like same thing right and that's exactly what you what you want like you know in the martial arts we always say like uh, you, you don't rise to your highest level of, of like training, really. You, you fall out to your, basic, your, to your most basic level of understanding something, right? So if my most basic level is still better than 9% society, that's good, right? Because oh, sure. you've already been, you've been putting yourself through that trial so many times that there, someone else's level of hell is your level of a good time, right? Absolutely. And like for, for context, like I, I took a class from Frank Proctor, uh, year ago i believe and uh you know really good class i would recommend um catching him if he's coming through town um the which he is but uh it's sold out well that's uh, your problem (laughs) (laughs) um but in talking to him he said that he's uh for context he's like a former might might be i don't know uh former military at the very least um does some door kicking and all that stuff like very well traveled in that area and is also at least a master in two divisions uh in uspsa and i don't recall if he hit grandmaster off the top of my head but i i wouldn't be surprised he's he's a very competent shooter and his his point was if we could get you know every sof guy to be c-class in uspsa just flat out just c-class that's the off the top of my head that's like what 65 percent of or like 65 percent and below no wait uh fuck what's my what's my math like top 40 35 percent whatever but if you could just be like c-class in uspsa like that would be a very high comfortable bar for all of them to hit like so for context like bill from it down the street who shows up to the local club every weekend is a grandmaster and has been for like two years or whatever like this dude shreds and <laughs> to think about like his average level of skill based on the amount of work that he's put in um to the the commonly thought of like um you know death stalker night night operator guys <laughs> who <laughs> do bad stuff um like it's it's nuts how right. good at shooting you can become in such a short amount of time if you practice deliberately 
100 percent and and this can probably transition to the next topic but this is a common thing we bring up on the podcast but the misconception that prior military law enforcement uh sort of like supersedes just normal hard training if you claim to have prior military or law enforcement training i trust you less I'm, yes, I'm more worried about your hundred percent every single time. Every it single time, I am worried. Me. Yeah, yeah, dude, show up the competition. They've got like a fucking safari land. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Uh, when you said that <laughs> today, <laughs> I just made my order for a uh, a a non safari land holster for competition. I was like, oh, I'm no, not gonna no. fucking show up with a safari land. Doesn't make any sense. I don't care um, what you show up with. Like half my holsters are just gun shaped Kydex buckets. Like there's not really much retention. I've got right. a bungee cord on one of them to hold the gun in when I'm not using it. Like I don't give a shit. But like, please, <laughs> just if oh I don't even I don't no one in the audience is really gonna like be this demographic so i'm not gonna like exhort law enforcement to go get like real training but like (laughs) just oh my god they make me so nervous one of our contributors shoots local uspsa and i took until i bought their safari land holster they were shooting it with safari land and regularly coming in the top like three to three you know two to five people by the way so i I feel like i gotta stick up for them just you know (laughs) i'm calling them out specifically i hope they heard this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's that sort of um, the dichotomy, the sort of like split uh, mindset. It's like, well, this is just gamified shooting. Therefore, it doesn't equal real life skills and or self-defense or training, whatever the fuck it can be, you know, combat so applications. And so and true. it's funny to me because uh, I think uh, I, I really like this channel, Tactical Hive. They're pretty cool. They actually had an episode having former whatever military SOF guys talking about why do military dudes with comic experience not come to competition. And they just straight up said it's because they're embarrassed because yeah, they're, they're going to get shown up. <laughs> they don't want to get racked and stacked by Bill from IT or like Joe the plumber or like Tiffany, the 12-year-old girl. <laughs> right, I right. I watched it happen. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's like if you think about any um, any athletic pursuit, like – swimming uh for guys and gals and other people that are in vocational positions where swimming is part of their job like uh you know search and rescue um swimming laps in the pool doesn't equate to you know real life conditions getting you killed in the streets but swimming laps is important if you need to be a good swimmer. Yeah, yeah. technique, your cardio, your efficiency to get from point A to point B. I mean, yeah, 100%. 100%. The reps always matter. Like, maybe I want to go to one of those door kicker deeds if I want to, like, learn how to set an L-shaped ambush or something. But I don't really need to do that, right? You know, the, the thing that would benefit me the most is being able to, you know, develop firearm handling skills and being a better shot. You know, 100%. For, right. for, for the sort of person who... Who wants to conceal carry a firearm? Maybe have one for home defense. Those are the skills that are really going to you know to benefit me. Oh, yeah, you know we're looking at sort of two different things too. You, you're, you, if you go to a combative shooting class, yes, there's technique involved, obviously, efficiency, weapons handling, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of that, when you start getting more of the quote unquote advanced stuff, becomes more about tactics. Really, in my opinion, it's difference between tactics and then sort of technique and individual skill set uh, development, right? Because if I'm doing um, 
CQB stuff, a lot of that is there is obviously the ideal way to position your body around objects, etc. But a lot of that's also to sort of tactics, assessing what what's this layout, how do I conform to it, or whatever, right? Where's my opening? Versus uh, competitive shooting is like it, there is some of that obviously, but it's, I have to repeatedly do these things consistently in a very co- competent manner in a time period in a short you know short amount of time, um, and I feel like. You should just do both. I mean, there's there's really no thing that's precluding one thing over another. It's like you know people doing martial arts being like, I don't do MMA because I fight for the streets. And it's like, do you think the MMA fighter doesn't know how to kick someone to groin? Like, I don't know what your logic is here. Well, I'm a tactical shooter. When I step onto a stage, I select the tactics that will get me the most points per second at the expense of everything else. Right here, you go. Right, like there there is like there is no difference. Like the context is. I want to shoot this cardboard as fast and as accurate as possible. The end. Full stop. Like, this is just a drag race. Yeah. Gotta go fast. Um, actually, so um, on the t- on that sort of topic, training scars. This is this is a common thing that people bring up in terms of, and for those who don't know what that means, training scars is you, you have a habit of something in your training methods that ends up the, that's uh, in the real world becomes erroneous or it could be wrong. So if my instinct is, is to c- c- always uh, look away at something when I'm training and I do that in a real world, it could get me killed, so to speak. And as people bring that up when it comes to competitive shooting, they're saying that these uh, things you got to do in the competitive world, like the 180 degree rule, where you can't put, you, can, you cannot put your gun uh, past 180 degree. Um, you can't do things like sort of the traditional uh, high angled workspace reload that Travis Haley does, because that could get you disqualified, or blah blah blah, all these other things too. And what would you say to that? Do you think that's really a thing that, like, if someone who only ever does competitive shooting is going to end up developing bad habits when it comes to the, I guess, quote unquote, real world? Cope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm mean, like seriously though. Like, they, basically, there are some things that you do in competition that make zero sense to do in, you know, the air quotes, real world. Um, there are many things you would do in the so-called real world that makes zero sense to do in competition. Like context does matter. And if you cannot separate the contexts between a defensive shooting or training for such a thing and a competition, I don't think you should own a gun. Like, right. (laughs) There's a, there's a, a disconnect there or a lack of a disconnect that makes me very uncomfortable. And when these questions get brought up, that's I, I would really encourage you to think about like why this seems to be an issue. Like, yeah. That's that's the short answer. And there's there's a bunch of like smarter and more experienced people than me that have also ranted about this. I would point you at uh, Mike Pannone, uh, CTT Solutions. Um, and uh, what's his name? Matt Paranka of X-Ray Alpha. If you cruise through their Instagram or their saved reels or whatever, they've got a, a bunch of similar. I started following uh, X-Ray Alpha because of you. Because of you, I think. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Really so good he stuff. He and Ben Stoger collaborate a lot and yeah, you know, share info, whatever. Like those guys are experienced um, professional gun users and have also achieved quite a bit of success in competition. Um, Matt Paranka or X-Ray Alpha achieved grandmaster within his first six or so matches like he just initially classified grandmaster because he trained in a practical manner uh professionally 
because he recognized that, like, you know, hit factor is the real world, and that's that makes the most sense to train. Damn, that's impressive. Yeah, like, ser- like he's a fucking good shooter, and it's like stock clocks all day. What are um, your recommended... Actually, before I even get into that, we're already talking about trainers and such. What is the um, what are some trainers that you recommend people follow? We, we we already mentioned a couple. Oh yeah. Um, if you're looking for someone who puts out good info, um, for like shooting advice and you know generally keeps it shooting focused, um, Tim Heron, uh, Tim Heron shooting on Instagram. I think he's based out of Idaho or New Mexico, one of those two. Um, puts up a lot of really good, really useful content on both his YouTube, uh, his Instagram is more active, um, but he's a very good follow, and his content is digestible for um, both new shooters and people experienced like myself, and I've, I've implemented some of his material very recently and had success with it, so I would, I would wholeheartedly recommend Tim Heron. Um, ben Stoger, also a very good trainer to follow. His classes are fantastic, I hear. I'm trying to get into one. Um, but good material, if you don't mind assholes. <laughs> He's definitely got a personality. Um, gee, who else? I could come up with a list or whatever later. Definitely come up with a list for us so we can drop it in the bottom. Yeah. But I also want to know, who are the trainers to follow if I want to get the kind of content where it's like, you know, Merka, you know, come and take it. <laughs> Who are, who are the, that's more my speed. Oh, you know? well, let me recommend you, um, John Lovell, Lavelle. Oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. I fucking hate that. Warrior Poet Society. Yeah. God damn it. It's like, yo, I thought I was going to listen to some dope fucking poetry, and there's zero fucking poetry, and it's no all pros, just posture. No fucking John poetry. John has zero bars. <laughs> Not a single pentameter here. The only thing you get from John Lovell is uh, gear shilling, uh, Christian cult indoctrination, and really stupid advice like don't wear ear pro or have or, um, have a suppressor for your self-defense gun. It's okay. Your ears can auditorily exclude loud things. That's true. I've heard that line of reasoning about other topics, and it's definitely uh, bi- biologically sound. Nice. You inoculate your ears <laughs> to the loud noises yes. and become more resistant to them. Yeah. <laughs> so Fucking true. Fucking hell. Huh? <laughs> good old good old John 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 Lovell. Um and so uh, let's moving on to I already know what you shoot and such and I've seen a lot of people do the same thing. Uh what, what your go-to sort of pistol for and gear setup for competition. Well, I guess for someone that's getting into it like is it a sort of requirement to have to get that same sort of competitive belt with the magnetic uh, mag mag holders, get a good like hammer fire gun or whatever. Oh, yeah. I know you shoot a CZ Shadow too, and it's a great gun. I, mean, I know a lot, of, a lot of people do the same exact thing. Guys who I know who are serious into uh, USPSA all shoot like shadows. So Yeah, if you don't have the best stuff, like you're just not, you're going to have a bad time and everyone will make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> but really like to just show up with the gun you have. Um, and shoot a match, see what you like. If you don't, oh well. If you do like it, um, keep shooting your gun or replace it with something you are more interested in shooting. Buy a holster that you think works better. I don't care. As long as it's safe, show up. And, like, there's plenty of resources out there for, um, like, gear requirements and all that stuff just to make sure that your, like, your holster isn't some leather piece of shit from Uncle Mike's and it's gonna 
make it a safety issue for the rest of the competitors. Like that's obviously no one likes that, but like right. if, if your shit's good, show up, please. Just see what's up. Talk to competitors. I've found, I mean, I'm a white dude, so like my experience is gonna be tainted by that or like biased by that. So like I can only speak for myself, but. I found that the demographic at USPSA matches compared to other competition scenes that I've shown up is primarily, like, fucking nerds who just care about shooting fast. Right, <laughs> so, right. Like, Mr. Mister um, Chet Doorkicker doesn't typically show up and bluster at USPSA matches. And, like, he's over at the tactical games where he can um, run far and participate in not very challenging uh, shooting <laughs> challenges. <laughs> Uh, and still feel good about himself like they, they don't people with like that kind of an ego typically don't show up to uh uspsa so i found that the competition right scene has been extremely friendly um and extremely willing to like answer questions and give tips if you're a new shooter and you're you're like asking for input so like please do show up and if you live in the um seattle area drop me a dm or reach out to me somehow and i'll figure out how to show up to your first match too right on i would agree with that I mean, my first you know only really comp- comp- uh, competition experience of shooting idpa was you know very similar like my my squad were just everyone's super nice there were like a big demographic of people who were um super advanced have been there for a long time bringing in completely brand new shooters like just completely brand new and then uh, myself kind of somewhere in the middle, and then I was brought in by a friend who is, you know, extremely good. You know, it was Jesse from Vaulty Tactical. And everyone's super helpful, you know? No one no one had an ego. You do something cool, people were like, hey, good job, man. If you, they see you struggling, they, like, come in here, like, hey, like, can I help you out? Here, here's some advice or whatever, right? And, you, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I, I think it's great. And I, in, in its own way, the fact that it's a higher level of of scale kind of does its own filtering of kind of shit bags. Usually, of course, not all the time, but you know, usually. Yeah. I think we've touched on it. Um, but I think it really just bears calling out your average gun owner out here probably has a fairly overblown, uh, assumption of their own skills and ability to run any firearm in any context. And generally speaking in a competition context is, the fastest and most surefire way to to dispel any misgivings of uh, one's own ability, um, and I think that's really important uh, to personal growth. To be taken down a notch uh, occasionally, to be reminded that yeah, there's 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 people that are really good. Um, Soju, I think you brought up in the past, like the quote people pointing out that like. Most people just don't know what good is. People right. don't have any frame of reference what like the upper limit of uh, shooting ability might look like um, in competition. Not not even like people don't need to go out and do competition every single weekend, but um, going to a few competitions to really get a taste of like what's capable, like what's within the realm of human capability with a handgun or with a rifle. I think that's really important. Most definitely. That is a sort of thing, unfortunately, with the American gun world, or culture industry, whatever you want to call it, is there, like anything, there are subgroups, sub, subcultures, where people end up leaning towards, for whatever reason, their upbringing, their political beliefs, social media, and they separate themselves from 
like uh their own ego versus what genuine skill looks like and so they don't want to get better sometimes they're afraid to look bad etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever you want to call it um you know in in many ways if our current culture wasn't so divided and sh- full of shitty people this i feel like would not be the case as much there'd be more of a community sense sort of thing if people genuinely wanting to get better for the right reasons um but you know it's not the world unfortunately that we that we live in John actually brought this up to me before. He wanted to ask you, uh, Kaden, about what are sort of things that I uh, say, you know, I'm with a group of friends. We want to train for a competition like uh, you would do at the range, like your own sort of range. So you set your own stages. Uh, how would you normally set up your own like distances for targets or what kind of skills to work on? Uh, things that you couldn't do just from dry firing, I guess. Um, that's a really open ended question. And the answer (laughs) is definitely it depends. Um, But, like, more specifically, like, it depends on what you think is interesting about practical shooting and what your goal is. Um, For me, my current goals are relatively specific because I'm training for some major matches, like, seasons in full swing. Um, And so I'm... I'm trying to hone in on, like, specific things that I'm noticing are a problem for me. Like, um, a specific target presentation at a certain distance after shooting some really fast close stuff um, tends to be a challenge, and it's hard to throttle down and be precise on that stuff. So oh, yeah. So, I'll yeah. set up target ar- arrays and situations where I am being pushed and forced to, like, at speed throttle down and be accurate again and then throttle back up for some other stuff or like move in and out of position on that kind of thing so that I make I make the shooting challenge harder than just like I stand in my lane at the shooting range and I shoot the target and get bullseyes and um, sometimes I shoot bullseyes fast so I'll try to make like a good point yeah like I'll try to make the shooting um, dynamic and interesting when it calls for that or I will isolate on raw fundamentals um, for like pure accuracy or speed and accuracy while I'm static or something like that. Uh, but totally depending on my goals. But like, if your interest is just like, gee, I want to draw from the holster and blast build drills on this uh, silhouetted target at like seven yards or ten yards, yeah, fuck yeah, do it. That's fun. Right. Uh, I think because you know. You don't know what you don't know, right? And oh, yeah. so you're, when your training, when your training gets more in depth, say you do a couple of competitions and you start hyper focusing on what you need to work on. I mean, that's a good point you're bringing up. You're you were bringing up the sort of transitioning from up close fast shooting to now the targets are for a distance, mentally, physically slowing down to get that target's way out there to make those shots count better. And, and then speeding up again because a lot of what we do really anything is speeding up controlled controlled descent speeding up again yeah. um makes sense too yeah i yeah. That, that's, that's a great point i mean if we're like done a target transition like it's right. not complex like you you bring your dot from one target or your irons if you are a luddite and <laughs> <laughs> you bring your dot from one target to the next target and you shoot that one like in in practice it's not complex but like if you've never tried it like it does seem intimidating and you don't know what it's like until you've actually shot an array of targets either all side by side or some close some far like there are aspects to that that are really interesting and fun and a lot of people just are never exposed to that kind of thing outside of a competition environment 
right on Um, if i if i could that like that reminds me of something that um i see a lot i get or like i also see questions where people will ask uh, what's the best um cold drill to do what's the best assessment drill to do at a match or uh, like i was gonna ask you actually (laughs) yeah what's your favorite drill um (laughs) and my question my answer is always it depends uh because i'm um an asshole but the (laughs) the thing that's the most compelling um, or like the easiest sell, I would say, about going to a competition is that it is just a full day. Like every stage is a cold assessment of skill. Because True, it is, yeah. It is a target scenario um, that someone has set up. If you don't show up early and like walk around on the stages and look at the bays before the uh, match starts, like you have four to five minutes to like look at this whole stage, remember where the targets are, find the shooting area, like, see where you can see the targets from within the areas you're allowed to shoot, make a plan, memorize it, and then execute. And you get one shot. Like, there are no reshoots. There's nothing you can do to, like, take back the run you just did. Like, the skill that you can muster at that moment is your shooting level. Like, full stop. And you get to, you like, you do bad on that, oh, well, flush it, move on to the next one. You get another cold uh, assessment of your skill. And it's like, it's fun. It is fun as hell. But it is also a very well-rounded, depending on the club you shoot at, of, of course. Um, but, like, it is, it is a good feeler for where you're at. And you're often presented shooting challenges that you had not considered um, would even be a challenge to do like you have maybe never considered oh gee what if i have to reload and then transfer to weekend or whatever like i've never shot a 50 yard uh piece of paper before i've never shot a plate rack and then shot like six of these or i've never done anything from a teeter-totter bridge or whatever like there there are interesting things that you can be presented with um that you would not normally think up think up on your own one thing that comes to mind uh to me pretty frequently is like you know, when you're reading an interesting article while sitting on the toilet and your legs go asleep yeah. and like both your legs go asleep. What if you get caught in a defensive situation while both your legs are asleep? That's so true. That's why Man, I this happens to you all the time. I apply fuck. tourniquets to my legs before some stages just to see what happens. <laughs> what <the fuck? laughs> I think we're going to implement that in our next outlaw uh, two gun. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bonus drill of the month. <laughs> First, you got to have someone to do a sensation test to make sure you're not cheating the leg numbness. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fucking hilarious. That's good. Uh, I mean, we used to in one of our early posts, we, we were dicking around and we would be like, "All right, so like the the Asian draw draw the first shot. You're eating your ramen. You got to you got to keep the ramen retained in one hand, draw from the holster, and make your shot." Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's all really insightful stuff. I mean, and and really, it's. There's no magic answer to really anything. You could ask the highest level shooter possible. Are essentially going to boil it down to the same thing. It's, hey, practice on what you're not good at and uh, do that Yeah, no, until you're up. good. Yeah, yeah, it's like, gee, it's really hard for me to shoot these targets really fast because my hand clenches up and my firing hand gets too much tension and I trigger freeze. And I was like, okay, um, go pay really close attention to the thing that's going wrong. And at the same speed that you made the mistake, try and solve it. Like, the slow down and get your hits, like, doesn't solve a fucking thing. Like, you can make the same mistake slowly and just not yeah. be any better off. Now you're just slower. Like, good job. <laughs> right, 
Right. And this is actually a thing you've brought up many times in your posts. And uh, as you get more into shooting, you'll be you'll find yourself inclined to agree with Caden is like the old saying, slow is smooth, smooth is fast is true to an extent. If you're a new shooter, I don't want you going fast, making making problems worse, and you're not identifying what's wrong, right? Like you're not able to make a good five group shot at five yards or whatever, right? But then if that's uh, once you get those tight groupings at five yards at a slow pace, you shouldn't stay there because it effectively doesn't prove anything. Like that's the bare minimum requirement, right? And so when I see people, and I, I've I've seen people like like you know your, your typical kind of whatever mid tier wannabe gun influencer on Instagram or whatever, and like they go to this is my first competition, y'all. And they go there, and they're going like slower than a snail snail's pace. Like I might, it's oh, like yeah. I'm not even seeing them put in the effort to show urgency, even though this is a timed match. And it leaves me very kind of confused and frustrated because, and they just their their caption is just an excuse. It's just like I'm, I would rather make my fit my hits count than shoot, you know, miss fast. Four Charlies on that stage. It's like great job, dude. My mom beat you in raw time. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I shoot matches with my mom sometimes, and she is actually better than many of the folks that do show up. Like, straight up, it, there's no excuse. Just please show up to a match. <laughs> right, right on. And um, I just, like, I would encourage people, if you're going to show up to the match, show up to the match with the right mindset, because it, it's not the right mindset to just purposely run it super slow. Because... It's just like, I don't know what, what you're trying to achieve or what you're trying to work on at that point. Because you could have just done that at home. I don't know what you're trying to achieve at that point, right? Oh, yeah. Like, disclaimer, like, your first match is there to learn how the game works and learn the process. So, like, I don't give a shit how fast you shoot your first match. But, like, once you understand the game, push yourself. Like, let's let's put the gas on a little bit. Let's see how far we can go. Yeah, ultimately, like, it's not slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Like, fast is fast. Oh, yeah. Smooth is smooth. Right? You fast know. is fast. Slow is we don't need that. Slow is for understanding how to be fast, right? It's kind of how I look dumb. at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like just on that note, like the when people get the impulse to slow down, I'll try and remind them that like, look, slowing down doesn't solve the problem. Paying more attention to the thing that's going wrong, or at least that you think is going wrong, will. And that usually results in going slower, but like that's that's the end result like that's not the process the process is if my grip's fucking up when i try and blast like sub 20 second or 0.2 second splits or whatever like pay attention to your grip and make sure that the pressures don't change while you try and hammer the trigger faster that may result in things looking slower or feeling slower until you figure it out but like that's solving the problem Right. I, I kind of saw that firsthand when I was taking some people out and they were running some build drills, some for first time. And I knew that they were competent shooters because they have all the fundamentals down, but they were, them going slow actually made them worse. Like actually <laughs> accuracy. It was weird. And I said, don't go slow. Hey, you know what? Here's a timer. This is it. You have three and a half seconds. I want you to, to, to bang it right now. Just go and I do it. And they were tight. The groups were actually really tight. And they went faster because it was a mental block. They were mentally fucking themselves over by going slow. Because if you overthink things, you actually can make things worse sometimes. Especially when you're holding out a piece of metal or object in front of you. You can't do that forever. And if you're just kind of just doing that, you know, multiple times. This is like, it's been two hours. It's 100 degree heat, you know. And you're out there hesitating every shot. It's not going to necessarily make you better, right? Oh, yeah. I think that's one thing uh, we see. You know, a common example is on the draw. If someone has something an aspect of their draw that they're working on, like say picture alignment 
or forming that two-handed grip, if they're trying to change something up as they're walking through that on their own or as you're walking them through it and you're pointing out things that they can change, what they're going to do is they're going to slow that entire draw down, including, like, you know, the slow-motion molasses reach for the gun. It's like, no, slow, slow down and think about the part that you need to think about. But that doesn't mean that you should slow down the entire process beginning to end. Like, focus on the part that needs to be focused on. Absolutely. Yep. Everything is focus. Oh, speaking of which, and I know you've made a couple of, of statements about this target focus versus front sight focus versus all these other things that we're, we're often told when we start shooting, you know, for the first time, right? Red dots are uh, obviously we always talk about red dots afford the luxury of easier target acquisition just by putting that dot on something being target focused the entire time. But you and I discussed that as things actually get real, like things are happening in front of you and you're not, you don't have a red dot, you don't have irons, you're not staring at your iron. You're not staring at that front side to make sure that it's like, I got to put superimposed this thing, focus on that. Everything else is blurry behind it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I guess, where does that sort of mentality kind of come from or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the front sight focus, as I understand it, is more useful or at least more traditionally implemented with success in bullseye focused shooting for practical shooting that we do either in competition or in a dynamic a kinetic event or whatever the fuck you want to call it um the target focus is both the most effective and what is most likely to happen um with your vision regardless of whether you want it to or not like if you see something that demands your attention, be it a target you need to shoot or someone who is attempting to hurt you, you will laser focus on them and or the weapon that they are holding. And you can like look at like um, uh, shootings and see data on like where hits were or whatever. Like very commonly you will find that um, the shots will stray towards where the, the weapon was. Like if they wave a knife over their head, shots will stray towards the knife because that's the thing that you are focusing on. And so, like, your vision drives your shooting for better or for worse. You are going to hit where you are looking for better or for worse. And so if you have a target focus and you are lasering your vision in on, like, a specific spot on the target, be it the A zone or a specific spot on the steel plate that you want to hit or the guy launching some munitions at you in the shoot house... Um, you're going to be a lot more accurate without sacrificing any speed. So, like, that's that's the sell, right? If you are um, using iron sights, and, like, you can fuck this up with a red dot, too. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you can stare at the red bouncing ball all the time. And it's a very common mistake that people right. find themselves falling into, um, which is why I tape over the front of my red dot and... If you don't know what that does, try it, and uh, you'll immediately understand. Just, like, occlude the front of it, leave the rear alone, and um, keep both your eyes open. It shit's awesome. Um, but, like, just go try that. The If you are using iron sights, and you have a normal presentation, you put your sights on target, you get a front sight focused, right? You, you confirm that your sights are aligned. You can shift your focal depth or, like, your lens on your camera. You change the focus from the front sight to the target. Um, your focal depth is now target-focused. Your sights are blurry. They are still aligned. But 
now you can focus on a much more specific spot on the target rather than letting your perfectly crisp sight picture float on the brown blur. So like it is it right. is strictly better once you understand how to use your sights in that manner. Right. As as anyone can attest to, if you if you've ever tried aiming at something and you are so preoccupied with the device that's aiming, either your iron sights, your reticle, whatever, and you end up seeing this fidgeting motion, etc. Well, it's just, you know case in point. Like you're you're focusing on the wrong thing, and now your brain's hyper focusing on like, oh, it's not perfect. Am I? It's not aligned where it needs to be. Do I pull the trigger? Do I do I let go of this? Whatever. Like, yeah. And you know that's not something that aids you in any way, and it's also not certainly not something that's going to help you when you have to go at speed. Uh, yeah. And yeah, if you shoot 100%. irons red dot, like you should be target focused almost 100 percent of the time. And with irons. I maintain that target focus, or at least I attempt to, like, 25 yards and beyond. Like, it is still important, and I just, there's just no better way to use those sighting systems. Oops. Yeah, right on. Um, John, Koff, you guys had any, any other questions, follow-up questions? I just want to, just, just real quick, on the occluded dot thing, um, it's funny, I got a dot as a gift, and I was like, you know, from a family member, I was like, do they know that I'm just putting tape over the fucking thing? Like, <laughs> I, are they going to, are they going to get this? I don't think they will. Like, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, Kane told me to do it. So it's fine. You know? Yeah. I spent all this money on an SRO. I got the biggest window I could and I put a tape over the fucking front of it. I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I mean, just one more note on like iron sights. Like you can, you can learn to read what the sights are telling you, the red dot makes it really easy to do. Like the iron sights are telling you the same amount of information, but the red dot makes it fucking impossible to ignore. Um, like that's the big benefit is like, it is screaming at you. Hey, your grip sucks. Hey, you flinch when you press the trigger. Hey, your sights aren't anywhere near where you think you are. Like your guys not even aligned. Why, why would the dot be in the window? Fuck you. Right. Exactly. Um, but like if you read, learn to, uh, read your iron sights, um, you can become, very proficient with them and shoot them um quickly like an iron uh, like a like a red dot so like if you if you imagine um like text on a page like you've you've read text for a while like you don't need to trace every character on the page with your eyes to like understand like this is an a this is this is a word that has an a in it like etc 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 like you you glance at the word you know what it means you move on like once you practice this deliberately with your iron sights, you can do the same thing. You glance, you, you are aware of the sights in your vision, you see what the, the rough outline is, you understand where the pistol is pointed, you can refine if you need to. I don't read. Me neither. <laughs> Post-literate gang. gang. Post-literate gang. I, and I agree with that. And this is something Koff and I have been, like, you know, banging our heads against because we, we hear this shit from people who very very clearly like do not shoot at any higher level than the fucking like planking or whatever telling people that you you there's no good reason to put a red dot it's gonna fail doesn't help you at all iron's the only way to go i would never let a beginner ever shoot with red dots you have to know irons and what you just said earlier like there's actually some information that the red dot can afford you, you know, like instantaneously that lets you know what you're doing wrong like 
if people talk about flinching, it's really easy to tell when you're flinching with the red dot. It's actually harder, in my opinion, when it comes to irons. And a lot of times, especially when I started shooting out, when I started shooting as a you know first-time gun owner, I only had irons on my CZP-10. And I was like, why the fuck am I always hitting low, low left and, and that sort of thing? Or why is it going over here? And, you know, I, I found out, well, weak support hand. And, well, I sometimes I would flinch. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like learning to drive a car on stick. It's like, you know, power to you. That's really hard. You don't need to. You don't have to do it. We have technology. <laughs> Welcome to the current year. The future is now, old yeah. man. Yeah, seriously. Um, that That is a funny thing, though, about the gun world. This will never not be a thing. There will always be the current gen people hating over this Oh, what's this new gizmo? We don't need this no gizmo. You know, back in my day, we didn't we didn't have this. We you had have clips. To suffer like I suffered. You have to suffer like I suffered. I refuse for you to have a better way of life. You piece of shit. You entitled piece of yeah, shit. Twenty <laughs> years from now, they're gonna put a chip in your brain that sort of you know like just just moves your hands to where the target is. <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna be like, hey, that's bullshit. Back in my day, Sunday, we had to red, hard. we had to red that sighting system. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and funny enough, we're, we're like the what the new LPVO from Vortex is being put onto the U.S. military's uh, uh, MCX Spear it has a, a computer built into the uh, optic that can calculate all the uh, compensation you have to make for a distance and uh, wind direction or whatever to make your shot. So, yeah. Back in my day, I had a notebook. Yeah, <laughs> that calculate dope and everything. Damn. All we had was a chart taped to the stock of my rifle, Sonny. <laughs> um, oh, Koff, did you have any uh, questions? Yeah, um, I had a few that I wanted to make sure we either got into this time or um, probably bears yet another episode if you're down, sure. Kaden. But I know, um, I think you've mentioned in the past that you have... Uh, professional experience as a firearm instructor not just as a competition shooter um so i know that kind of touches on uh, another interest that a lot of our listeners and followers uh have a lot of interest in um so kind of a couple questions along that route um so what would you say are your you know top two favorite tips for coaching and teaching new shooters um, good one. I would say that the two most important things to take in mind, at least while you are coaching new shooters, especially if you don't have, like, formal training as an instructor or whatever the fuck, like, if you if you just, like, feel pretty competent and want to start teaching, um, is A make sure that you understand the material that you want to present. And this is very easy to do. Like you just take a buddy out to the range and they may be a good shooter on their own and you just run them through like a, a one-on-one presentation. Just have them like do a mock interview or whatever um, where you just, you teach them what you would teach a brand new shooter and they can give you advice or not and you can listen to it or not. Um, but getting reps on instructing as a skill is as important as being competent at shooting as a skill if you want to be a shooting instructor. Um, and then the second point would be, the first one being like develop instructing as a skill. The second one would be um, never stop developing uh, shooting as a skill. Like the more I have 
done competition, the more effective my shooting instruction has become because I understand, you know, some things like whether I put my thumbs on the takedown lever or my gas pedal or whether I get a high and tight grip, like, some of that stuff that I used to tell people doesn't fucking matter. Like, I've been able to reduce figuring out how to be accurate to hold the gun really firm and press the trigger without moving the sights. Like, that is, those two things will get you where you want to go. And then you can add speed onto that mix once you can do that with no time pressure. Like, you can distill shooting once you have a firm understanding of what is the bare minimum, what is nice, and what can go wrong and how to address that. You can go so far. It's literally the uh, bell curve. Exactly. like yeah it's like okay well you need to copy my grip okay put your hand here and all right now 90 percent pressure in here and 10 15 percent here (laughs) i don't care if that means something different to you like that's what i understand that's what you're gonna get taught it's yeah yeah it's funny hearing that shit because it that is something i think all of us have have been through We're we're at that generational transition where when we started getting into guns we all heard the sort of outdated shit and then by the time we've gotten you know competent it's like oh None of that shit matters, and just something yeah. some fucking NRA fud fucking told me when I first started shooting. Oh yeah, that shit's so funny. Just look at how how long like the persistence of like people tucking their thumbs under each other <laughs> has gone on with like oh it'll it'll mess up your thumbs real bad if you touch the slide your thumbs will explode. <laughs> like, well, turns out that's actually not. The Dude, case. You must have some fucking uh, gnarly stippling on your slide if that's <laughs> if they explode when you touch it. it my, my stipple job is just like little razors sticking out. Okay, uh-huh. so <laughs> that's for those contact shots. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I would say a similar question to that. Um, so in the quote unquote the industry, both at like the cool guy tactical level and the you know, mom and pop indoor gun range, uh, in-house firearm training classes. What aspects, let's go with two again, of firearm coaching and instruction out there in the professional instruction industry, would you say are probably the most overlooked? What aspects, like, as as a student looking for an instructor, is that the context you're you're asking, or how do you mean? I I would say specifically more. Um, what aspects of firearm education are the most overlooked or ignored from an instructor perspective in terms of what the majority of instructors out there are doing or not doing? Right. Um. That's a good one. I think there's a lot of, like, really easy pitfalls as an instructor to fall into, like, especially depending on, like, what kind of instruction you do and how big your curriculum or your class sizes usually are. Like, if you've got, like, fucking 25 people on the line, there's very little time for individual instruction. And if you do do that, like, it's it's a huge waste of time for everyone else, and you can you can burn a whole lot of everyone else's time trying to get one straggler to keep up with the rest of the class when it's probably better just to either let them be or send them home or whatever like invite them back to the next one and be like look you got to go home dry fire 
Um, but like if you are in a smaller course or the, the expectations are different, like that's something that's much more manageable. But like, I think one of the things that I have felt to be most lacking and that I've at least personally tried to develop is a variety of communication styles so that I can communicate my idea. For example, like how to grip the gun really firm so that it doesn't move when you, when you shoot ammo, um, in a variety of ways so that other people, regardless of their learning style, get at least a couple of different, like, um, modes of the same information. So like, be it visual, be it tactile, be it, um, uh, the other ones. <laughs> but like, I'll, I'll try and explain it with words. I'll show them myself. I'll like have them take their support hand off the gun and replace it with mine. And I'll be like, all right, this is how hard you should be gripping. And I'll just like clamp the shit out of their hands and be like, oh, that hard. Okay. Yeah. And then they're fine. Oh, that's a good one. I'll do, yeah. I'll do stuff like that. I'll like, I'll pull the trigger for them. I'll like put my finger on theirs and we'll press the trigger together. Like just to demonstrate, like, this is what I want. I want it like a gradual increase, a linear increase. Like, don't just slam it now. You're not ready for that. <laughs> We're trying to put yeah, yeah. put bullets on paper first. Um, this is the like, slow part. Yeah, this is exactly. the slow part. <laughs> yeah. So like I'll I've seen that repeatedly. The um the the hand on their hand. It's like oh, you meant a hundred percent. Like yeah, a hundred percent means a hundred percent. All of it. Um, just so just so you know, by the way, as a testament to one hundred percent support hand pressures virality. I have literally heard this described as the Instagram grip. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's um, been really funny seeing like um, bits of advice that I have given out to like some of my friends in this area or like just generally placed um, seeing that like percolate around. And, you know, some of it's definitely not me, but it is it is funny seeing like good advice disseminate. And it's, it's really cool. We should um we should get Kate and stickers. So when you hear good advice, you <laughs> you slap the sticker. It says, "I did that." <laughs> that was me. That was me. Slap it on I their should, clock. That I was get, me. Like my own printed pasters and just have my little face on like the little one inch by one inch <laughs> sticker. That'd be awesome. Do it. Sell them by the thousand roll really with good a uh, seventy-five dollar dispenser. You'll find that people that come to our podcast come up with new. Uh, merchandising ideas almost <laughs> by the end. It happens a lot these days. <laughs> We're such good anti-capitalists. Yes. <laughs> um, well, well, we had a name for uh, us if we started doing merchandising outside of fundraising and such. We would call it the Yale Paratatical the Tokyo Grift. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't come up with that. I think Who came up with that? Was it Snow or was it Icy? I fucking forget now. One of those two. One of those. Yeah, one, one of those, those two. two. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, what, what you just described earlier is exactly what I saw from people that I learned under who I consider really good instructors is that like, you know, if a small, obviously the smaller class, the more time you're able to actually fo focus on the individual, which yeah, I like, right? And the person that's relatively new, they would literally put the hand with them on the gun, slowly press that back because... You know, and honestly, that's something I should do. I should be doing more often for people, people for people who are new. Is that seeing is one thing, feeling is something else entirely, right? Yeah. And uh, it's as much as 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 much as you can make it where they're physically feeling it, the better, right? If we could fucking inject their brainstem into the matrix, we could. We, I would fucking do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To make them feel yeah. it. Yeah. 
I know Kung Fu. It's so, like, instructing is genuinely so fun. Like, it is very challenging at times. Yes. Um, And, like, it definitely takes a certain approach that is much more successful than, like, others. And if if you have a good attitude, you'll have a good time. But it is so fucking rewarding watching someone who is just struggling and intimidated with a pistol just, like, the light bulb goes off and it clicks and they get it. And they can just fucking stack rounds on paper. That is so cool. Like that. Oh that's, yeah. That's better than winning a match for me. Like that's fucking so cool. It's great when it happens. I mean, I think I think all of us here could speak can speak to that. Like we've gotten people who are intimidated, maybe even their first time shooting a pistol, and within that day they can stack rounds on target. Like that's wow, holy shit! There you go. You, oh, yeah. You've unlocked. You have unlocked the first chapter. There you go. You're past the tutorial level. And it happens way more for me than it does for you. Just, just saying. <laughs> it's, it's the Robert Redford uh, sitting in the boat nodding. <laughs> That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's like it is really fun, like watching them get it, and I love like handing them like some of my nice pistols that I shoot matches with. And I'm like, hey, try this. Like, check it out. Like, now that you understand how to shoot, like, try this. And it's like, I'm sorry. Like, this is really nice. I shouldn't give you this, but <laughs> here, drive the nice car for a little bit. <laughs> Let me ruin you a little. You can shoot this. Oh, this is nice. How much is it? Great it's like question. uh 2600 base. <laughs> Fucking hell. As yeah. I have it or like retail? I guess I don't know cuz what what what's on you you have a shadow and an SRO. Did you change what else did you change on it? So, um I I shot polymer pistols. I shot an M&P 9 1.0. Um, my dad gave that to me for, like, my, um, legally allowed birthday, and I shot that for a good while, and that was the class that, that was the pistol that I took that, that initial class with, um, so I've shot, like, polymer striker-fired pistols for a long-ass time, um, and it was a deliberate choice to buy a Shadow 2 because it is a DASA gun, excuse me, and is a metal frame, and, like, the nice part about the Shadow 2 is that, like, it was also the heaviest gun that you were legally allowed to shoot in the division that I wanted to compete in, um, and so it was, it was just the opposite end of the spectrum, and I chose that because, like, that looks fun and interesting, and it motivates me to, like, revisit the fundamentals with, like, a radically different platform and all that stuff, and, like, makes you a better shooter, um, but what I bought from a friend, he was switching off onto the 320 and so I bought his uh, Shadow 2 had all the Cajun bullshit inside and was milled with a plate system for a Delta Point Pro and I put the the uh, the SRO plate on it um, shot that for a good while and then picked up a backup gun which is just an identical version of the same one um, so that like if my gun shits the bed at the match like I don't have to fly home and eat my cost expenses and all that stuff like if you do the math it's a reasonable investment but it is really funny having two of the same pistol uh (laughs) but like i left that one stock as much as i could um i i dropped the trigger weight by replacing the mainspring with an 11 and a half pound uh cz customs or like cajun gunworks mainspring dropped the recoil spring to i want to say 13 pound spring and that's it like no trigger job, no no firing pin, whatever, uh, just spring swaps, and that is basically the same gun. So like, 
I don't really subscribe to the, you have to race your gun, like, you have to mod it out with a whole bunch of parts, like, put the sights you want on it, be it, like, good iron sights, which in my opinion are a fiber optic front sight and a blacked out rear um, of whatever brand you prefer, or a red dot. Like, pick one of those, slap that shit on your gun, um, make sure your gun fits in the holster, buy mags that are appropriate for your division, and just fucking send it. Um, like, <laughs> the more, the more, like, quote-unquote upgrade parts you put in the gun, the more tolerances you stack, and I have seen so many fucking Gucci Glocks, like, shit the bed it matches, um, and, like, the more fancy parts you buy, the more you have to, like, be aware that you may need to replace later, and it's just a headache, so, you know, other end of the bell curve, stock guns are good, actually. True. Uh, we'll, we, we shall see with my new Timney trigger. <laughs> uh, it actually it was do as we say, not as we Speaking of do, which, right? I did I did run it run it uh, two days ago, and it was great. But we shall see long term what happens. So <laughs> yeah, the Timneys are nice. Like that that Glock trigger is actually good and worth having if if that's something you want to play with. But like, I I do I do like the stock Glock trigger because if you can run that good, you can run anything good. Stock, uh, I mean, d- the Gen 5 triggers are awesome. I have no oh, complaints yeah. to the Gen 5 trigger whatsoever. Yeah. Um, cool. Is that uh, is that all we got, guys? Yeah? All right. Yeah, I think for Cool, now. man. Hey, uh, it was really awesome to have you on, uh, Kaden. We'd love to have you on again. Just a wealth of knowledge for all of us here, and I'm sure our listeners. Yeah, this has been Yellow Parrot Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast, and we'll be uh, signing out. Oh, actually, hold on. What am I doing? We got to do some social media hand- uh, call-outs. Uh, Kaden, we know you're on Instagram. Is that your primary way or your only way, I guess, on your kind of public social media presence? Uh, yeah, primarily. Um, okay. Yeah, just hit me up at expensive noise. So expensive period noise. Just shoot me right. a DM. I'll reply. Right on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, this has been the Yellow Pair Tactical Tiger Block Podcast. Caitlin, it's been awesome having you on. And we look forward to having you on again at some point. So yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks. All right. And you can find us, uh, Yellow Apparel Tactical, primary platform is Instagram, and that is at yellow underscore peril underscore tactical. Uh, you need to type in most of the name because we are shadow bands. Uh, we are also on Twitter uh, at, at YPT Actual. Twitter's a cesspool, but we are on it. And also, we do have a Patreon. Uh, we're just trying to cover costs. We're going to donate the rest. We have a project of mine that we're pretty excited about. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.